Welcome to the Experts Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of what it really means to be in the media. Featuring interviews with media stable experts and some of Australia's prominent media. We'll break down some of the myths, the fears, the skills and the knowledge needed to succeed in the media. The Experts Podcast is for the business owner, communicator, PR professional, leader of industry or anyone looking to develop their profile to be a recognised expert. The Experts Podcast is powered by Media Stable. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Experts Podcast. My name's Nick Hayes. Hi, I'm Carmen Braidwood. Hello, Carms. Um, we're going to talk legal again. We've had a few lawyers in the in the booth here over the last couple of months. We have, and that is because media need lawyers. The amount of times I uttered this phrase with such expectation and <laughs> lack of understanding of how hard it was to achieve, get us a lawyer. Would you? Yeah. Uh, you know, it is. It's one of those things that many, many, uh, many stories require an angle on. But this isn't just any lawyer. I mean, this is uh, uh, the head of a, probably the, uh, Perth's biggest family law firm in Western Australia. Her name's Catherine Leach. She's from Leach Legal. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about, because you've built this business, what, over now, close to 18-odd years. Yes, I've hit adulthood this year. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. We've just come off a, a podcast that's talked 15 mm. years and, and 10 years, 18 years. Yeah, I, it, it always surprises me when I see those stats about how businesses, how many fail um, you know, under two years. Yeah. And so I'm so proud to be still going after 18 years and able to, to you know, grow and make a difference. Well, you're nine times that, aren't you? You're, uh, you've gone well past nine times two is 18 years and you're sort <laughs> of, uh, you're kicking goals. Yeah, no, it's good. What's the state of the business? What's the state of the industry at the moment? Because family law is your thing. So let's let's look at this. It's it's divorces, it's it's people going through breakups, etc. How's business? Look, uh, business is is um, fairly steady for us, um, generally through most climates. I think um, if you were in the eastern states, particularly in Melbourne, there was a big increase in the number of separations because of the many lockdowns. We didn't really have that impact here in Perth because we didn't suffer as many lockdowns. But what I finally realised after 30 years of being in this industry is that family law is actually tied to the property price. Hmm. Ah. So after years of property prices not rising, and we were finding it, it was pretty slow, you know, people would come in, but they wouldn't do anything and it just, nothing seemed to be happening. And so 2019 was this very slow year. Hmm. And then the pandemic hit and we thought, oh, this will go crazy because of lockdowns. But it wasn't. As soon as the property prices zoomed, the number of people separating so zoomed. What, what's the connection with property price? Is it when property prices are up, so is divorce? Well, if you look at it from a practical perspective, if you have no equity in your property, what is the point of separating? So you can both get a debt or you can both get nothing. Oh. Whereas if the property price has gone up, there's suddenly a little glimmer of hope that you might walk away with a bit of cash and it's worth going through the pain of separation. Well, some people don't even worry about a divorce, do they? They'll just stay separated under one roof or separated in separate homes, but no one's done anything legal. Yeah, and we found that um, in 20, or 2009 after the G. GFC because we didn't really get hit that badly by the GFC here but I found that there were a lot of people who came to me and said oh I separated 
in 2008 and they would come to me in 2012 and say, oh, we haven't really done anything, we will now. But I, I now looking back, I think that was tied to the property prices as mm. well. So observing from a media perspective, the biggest challenge that I've noticed in family law is is the court. You know, it, it's, it's a tedious, excruciating and backed up process to get a family law case in. Is that still a problem? Oh, it's, it's horrendous. And we, you know, there's a, the two separate systems. So you have the Family Court of Western Australia and the Family Court of Australia, and they've just revamped everything and thrown a huge amount of money in there and made this incredible amount of appointments there. So they're now zooming through matters wow. so much quicker than they ever used to. But the funding hasn't come to WA, so we're still we're, we're gradually getting a few more people. But you know, my my idea was to run a pilot program in Western Australia and throw a lot of money at the court mm-hmm. and just see what difference it made. Because it's a small court, relatively speaking, and you could see the impact of it fairly quickly. And what is the the new system that's worked so well at a national level? Was well, not necessarily the system. I think it's just the fact that they've thrown, they've made it's people a huge resources. number of appointments. You know, sure. I can't remember the numbers, but like you know, fifty plus okay. appointments. Yeah. So at the end of the day, at a state level, we're going to need a similar level of injection of people. Yeah, absolutely. But also too, we're going to look at the statistics here because you know. When we look at the relationships and breakups of families, etc., it, it is it's it's skyrocketing. And if there aren't more people to be able to process this and work this through, naturally this was always going to be a problem that was going to be happening. We should have been almost predicting this years ago. Uh, well, I, I don't know if that's a media thing to say it's skyrocketing because that's not been my experience. I think statistically, if you look at the numbers, they're they're down probably per capita. So people are staying do. together now. Um, yeah. Yeah, probably. Well, it's certainly not hugely increasing, but the population's increasing, so you can't have the same number of judges for the same population. Sure, sure. It increases. I'm just interested because, like, I mean, I know if we went back to the sort of the 80s and the 90s, there were... There were far more, far less uh, breakups or divorces, etc. Mm. Well, perception anyway. I, I, by the, I by the eye roll, by the eye roll, <laughs> no, I just right. got there. Yeah, I've, I've, I'm on the wrong path. So yeah. there, there was just as many divorces yeah. there, but it was probably uh, probably done under under the covers or under sort of less less sort of high profile or known divorces. Well, you know, Nick, you're a lot long, younger than me, and <laughs> you probably I'm not that. <laughs> no, I'm not, Catherine. I think you and I are around the same vintage. I think you've become a little bit more conscious of what's going on the older you get. So you're yeah, obviously possibly. a little bit more open to it than you would be when you're 20 or 30. Very true. Well, mm-hmm. wasn't the old stat always 50% of marriages end in divorce? Yeah, and that's never been true either. No. no. What is what is the stat? Oh, you know, 20, 30%. Right. Maybe. But but we, we don't really know because if you're a de facto and you split, mm. there's not going ah. to be a divorce. Ah. So if you look at the number of divorces per capita, and not everybody gets divorced either. So it's, you know, the census is the best way to look at it. But We're breaking a lot of myths here, Carms, already. Yeah. I, I agree. I thought it was 50%. I was thought it was that high, and obviously it's not. Um, we talk, You talked briefly about the COVID and the lockups in on the East Coast and not necessarily having the effect that it had here in, in Western Australia. Um, is it the fact that people had to spend time together, that they worked out that they actually – don't really like each other? I think it was a combination of spending time and realising you didn't really like them that much. But I I just imagine these people in apartments with a couple of little kids Mm. working remotely, homeschooling. I stress. The the pressure. You know, I was talking to a lawyer in Melbourne the other day, a family lawyer, and she said she has not one file on her desk that doesn't involve some element of family violence. Now, that's Mm. unheard of. You you would always have a few. 
but she said every single one there's an element of it. And is it, again, men over the women? Is it that kind of... We it, talk- yeah, it, it tends to be, when we talk about family violence, it tends to be the males who instigate it. I yep. mean, there are instances of women, and I've had some pretty horrific instances of women as well, but as a whole, it tends to be the, the men who are the more you know domineering and... How challenging is this as a family law lawyer to deal with the kind of, I mean, the, the, the kind of cases that you get in front of you, they've got to be emotionally driven. There's a lot of, oh, I, I would say a lot of unhappiness, but also two sad stories that have been presented in front of you. How do you deal with that? I've had a lot of experience in it and when I was younger I I got told that I needed to consider that I live a parallel universe to the people that I'm dealing with. So my universe is never going to be part of theirs but we'll run parallel for a while. Mm. Um, after 30 years of doing it, you know, I'm pretty good at that. But I have to say, you know, odd that you asked me that because last week I just had this week and I had three new clients and one of them involved, you know, pretty extreme violence like emergency department violence and then the other two were co- coercive control which is you know the new spotlight thing and at the end of the week I was just exhausted and I thought I, I just don't know what to do anymore I don't know how to to fix this I don't know how to make any changes to it and and I suppose the one thing that came out of that is I'm now looking into a charity um, that deals with children going into schools and working on self-esteem and I know there's a lot of that stuff around but I think that that I feel almost like it's you got to start with younger. It's yeah. getting to that point where it's so bad that there's you know with all the mental health and mm. stuff, there's got to be some something's got to change. Well, and that's a really interesting observation to the rest of us just to understand what these stats are like. You know, for you in that week, that's an unusual stat to have so much that's focused on some kind of family violence. Yeah. yeah. Is there any anything that you need to do to mitigate risk when you're working on a case like that? for your client or even for yourself and your team? I think the, the problem with family violence is that uh, often the really horrendous events that take place don't take place in a family court environment. So mm. some of those children that have been killed, it, the matters weren't even before the family court. No. They were just mm. organised matters between them. Um, so it, unfortunately it's the ones that you don't see are the ones that are going to be the problem. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a really tough thing and it's a, definitely a story that the media are interested in, which you know, will will bring us to the kinds of calls that you tend to get from media. What kinds of stories have you commented on in the past? I did quite a big commentary on Roe versus Wade, which was interesting because that's not obviously anything that's not happening in, in Australia, Australia but it, it was another one of those things, you know, you, you just go, God, we've been fighting about this stuff for so long and yeah. we've made so many advances and here we are you know, back in the 1900s practically, it's crazy. Is that frustrating as a lawyer for you to have to deal with that? Like, you, it, it, it is frustrating. I mean, it, it's got to be – we're going back too many – we're going back years. Yeah, it, look, it's frustrating, but I suppose as a lawyer I have an understanding of it because I think, um, you know, it, it's so much more complex than just a Supreme Court ruling. It's it's a legislative matter within the states and it's just the structure of the United States which is, is dysfunctional to a degree. And so it makes me incredibly grateful for what we have here, um, which is quite, you know, quite a, a, an advanced, I suppose, um, you know, legislative structure and, and the laws are fairly liberal compared to a lot of other countries. So mm. why do you think we were so interested in it? Because it really, as you did say, it, it had only it only dealt with the US. It had nothing to do with Australia. I believe there's a a really growing number of women who feel like feminism 
was something that their mothers dealt with and thank you very much and I can now be a lawyer or a doctor or an astronaut and that's all that feminism was. And, mm. and when you start scratching the surface of it, you see that we're not really that advanced on what we were, you know, in, in the 1970s. A lot of things haven't really changed that much or if they have changed, they've changed so slowly that the current pace is not going to let our daughters or granddaughters really mm. see a great difference. And the fear is there that if it can happen in what seems to be a pretty civilised uh, place like the United States, then what is really stopping it from happening here? And you hinted at it there with the way that our democracy is set up. Do you think there are enough checks and balances to protect women's sovereignty of decision over their bodies? Uh, look, I do think we have that here. It's, it's actually enshrined in our legislation. It's already there and it can't be it can't be overturned like it was in, in America for many different reasons. So it's a completely different legal issue. But mm-hmm. I think the the whole point that everyone's got in arms about is is that these are things that we shouldn't even be discussing. Yeah. We shouldn't be discussing. And by the way, you're talking about the United States here. It's the same place that voted in Donald Trump and also yeah. still have the most ridiculous gun laws going around. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. I mean, I'm not it's, like it, we should it is be a lunatic village over there at the moment. But it's huge, you know, and it's it's they're the leaders of the free world. Let, you know, we, we look to this place. You know, this is where I think the 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 commentary around a bit of panic from women started to come yeah, through, they're, particularly they're no moral, my generation. They're no, they're no moral comp- compass, though. I no, mean, I don't think we should be looking to them for, on that front, on on that stage. But I, there are so many people that do, yeah, aren't there? Um, Catherine, you've you've done radio, you've done print media. I've seen a lot of your print articles there, and and you're you're a big user of LinkedIn. I love your leadership pieces that you you roll out there. Tell Walk us through that a little because do you sit down and uh, write or is it a, a process? Is it, is it booked in your schedule? How do you go about to, to create content? It probably should be booked in my schedule. <laughs> I think that would be much more efficient and I have, I have read various things that say you should always post at the same time on the same day. Um, but mine, mine's a bit more inspirational, so I'll think of an idea and then I'll sit down and write it. And often, I mean, they take me a long time to write. They're very short pieces, but they can take me hours to write. Mm. So often I'll write it and then I'll let it sit and then I'll come back to it and edit it a bit more. And Is that the lawyer in you, just making sure you've crossed all the T's, dotted all the I's? Or uh, is look, it I think it's the writer in me. I yep. was a you know, I had a love of writing before I had a love of law. And so I, I, I like succinctness. I like, you know, I like it to sound beautiful. I like it to flow nicely and I like it to be impactful. And that stuff doesn't happen in one draft. No, and it's a creative process that you're describing there. And I, you know, subscribe to a lot of people who have structure around the, the way we should post things to social media. But I tend not to agree in terms of me. I know that I need to have inspiration strike and just kind of act on it. And do you think that if you did have a schedule, you know, that said write my weekly LinkedIn post now, you'd stick to it? Uh, look, I wouldn't or I would put something on. <laughs> I'd, I'd probably, you know, revert back to the things that, that people see on LinkedIn all the time where I'm honoured and humbled to be, yeah. you know, doing all the things that I'm doing. And, you know, it's interesting that, that LinkedIn stuff because it has taken on a life of its own. And, and I don't go anywhere now where someone doesn't come up to me and say, I love your LinkedIn stuff. I read it all the time and That's it's so different. That's a tremendous reach. Yeah. Wow. It's so different. Sorry to speak over there. So what is it that really makes your content different? 
I think it's very personal. I try to weave in personal stories and and, and that's um, that can be difficult because sometimes I'll think of a story and I'll think, oh, okay, I'll write about that. And then I'll think, oh, do potential clients really need to know that about me? Or just, does, do all the other lawyers around town need to know that about me? And so I've got to, you know, do my employees need to know those things about me? So I've got to, you know, run a bit of a, a midline to, to make mm. it interesting but not so personal that it's damaging (laughs) (laughs) well it it is personal it's vulnerable in some times um it's you know you're showing a lot of emotional intelligence there that are just coming through and i think people can connect with it because again you're you're very brave in a lot of the commentary that you make because it is coming from a leader of a a law firm that possibly never really has gotten most law firms have ever got out from behind the desks or have always remained that quiet closed um you know, almost uh, mythical creature the the owner of a law firm inaccessible, inaccessible. i think is the word yeah have there been benefits to to, sh- to being more vulnerable and sharing more of those personal stories well i think people relate to you more as a lawyer if they can understand that you're human as well and and um and who you are because family law is so personal you know you can't if it was corporate law maybe nobody cares about what happened to me when I was seven but in family law it's important for people to be able to relate and understand who you are exactly and you know you mentioned that early advice you received to put yourself in a parallel universe to your client I'm willing to bet you don't view it that way these days you couldn't possibly remove yourself entirely from the world of your client well, I think when I say parallel universe, I mean that we do um, we travel along parallel tracks and we occasionally meet in the middle, but I don't cross into their world and they don't cross into my world and that's the important thing. Now, I note on Leech Legal, there's a lot more men working down there these days. Uh, was that a conscious decision? Because you were very, almost predominantly a female law firm at one point. Is, is that fair to say? We were. We yeah. were, yep. So we, um, we have um, yep, three men now. And is it, is it awesome? <laughs> Good work, well done, gentlemen. Um, so, uh, who makes a better family law lawyer? Is it a is it a female or a male? They both make really good family lawyers. Good I mean, the, the issue was not a male female issue. The issue is that far more w- women go into family law than men, mm. and we only employ really really good family lawyers. And yeah. so, to get a male, which was scarce, and then a really really good male, it took a lot of looking. Well, why is that? Why do females only tend to go towards family law? Oh, because it's very emotional and because you need to have really good EQ and you need to be a counsellor and you need to understand parenting and development of children and you need to do a whole bunch of things that men are incredibly capable of doing. But for most of them, if they can sit behind a desk and deal with stuff that's not emotional, it's yeah. a bit more comfortable. Yeah, I, I kind of get that. I mean, but then that's probably from the old school of, of law too, is that they probably just want to be heading more into that corporate space and you know, looking at the finer points of, uh, of arguments, et cetera, not oh. necessarily the emotional drive there. I, I tend to see a lot more female family law lawyers across the country. I don't, mm. I don't come mm. across a lot of um, high-profile male uh, family law lawyers. There's one obviously in, in Perth here, but um, you know, we don't see a lot of them. Well, you have to remember that 60% of the graduates from law schools now are women. So it's going to be greater and greater. Although, of course, there's a deep cliff in the middle where they all leave and have children and many of them don't come back, which we're trying to address. Trying to address that. And and how's how's that going? 
Uh, well, it's going well for me because I've had control of my firm for 18 years and yeah. so I've been able to bring in people part-time and be accommodating for maternity leave and all those things. But, you know, it, it's not across the board. Um, and you've got such a huge proportion of women in the law and, I mean, certainly in the States, about 27% of equity partners are women. Yeah. Mm. Do you get nervous when it comes to a radio, a television or a print engagement? I mean, print probably less so because you're probably more in control of your own writing, of course, but um, do, do, do lawyers feel the nerves and does Catherine Leach feel the nerves? Well, I think it would be unnatural not to have some nerves. Otherwise, it means that you're not being challenged and you're not really you know, putting your best effort into it. But mm. I don't know, there's something about standing before a judge and getting completely crapped on, if yeah. I can say, because there's a document missing or because something wasn't sent or because someone said something wrong and thinking on your feet. And, I, you know, I've been to court and got there and pulled out my file in the old days when they were paper and my entire document file was missing. Oh. So mm. I had to run this case with no documents oh. and just do the best I could. Did so you win? Oh, win. Relative, <laughs> Nick. <laughs> well, that is. through the day. Well, at the end of the day, relative is. I mean, that's what we are. I mean. Let's face it, in the laws, there's a winner and a loser at the end. But family law, everyone's – there's no real winners here, no, is there? there's not. You're trying to just lose the least? Yeah, well, that's right. You know, there, there's a winner and a loser on something like, you know, I want to move to Sydney with my kids and my husband doesn't want me to. Well, yeah. one's going to go and, or they're not. But, mm. you know, a property settlement, what's a win and what's a loss? Yeah. yeah. It's a really difficult thing. I love that discussion around coping under pressure. So standing in court, completely having to wing it to, to get through the next little while, which sounds like excellent preparation for media. Why then, in spite of that experience in court, though, do we still meet some people in the law who, who feel scared to speak to media? What would you say, I know without you're not them, but what would you say are some of the key concerns that lawyers face? We have to remember that, that lawyers all work in different areas. So if you're the type of person that doesn't like being put under pressure, you'll go and become a conveyancing lawyer or, or, or something that doesn't ever require you to go to court. Sure. And if you're a litigator because you love being in court and you love being in the limelight and you love that challenge, then media would just be a walk in the park. You'd be like, I know, a few, of, I know a few of those, Catherine, <laughs> I can tell right. you. I know a few of them. Ask me anything, I can <laughs> answer yeah. it. The razzle-dazzle <laughs> of the whole thing is very exciting to them, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. yeah. But is it also too, because also the, the fact that you would be seen by your colleagues, uh, etc. It's it it is something. Are you more concerned about what they might say more so than what an audience might say, or what a what a media might say? In well, as, as in your your expertise is on show. Um, you're actually responding to a, a question, but some people some some people will not go and get involved because they feel that they're not either qualified or that there's someone better out there to answer that. Um, and I, I feel that with lawyers sometimes that they are they, they worry too much about what their other people within their fraternity are, are talking or thinking about than what they necessarily and they should be putting themselves out there. On the whole, lawyers are perfectionists yeah. and they're not they're not risk takers. They're they're calculated risk takers. So they won't they're happy to do something that's within their within their experience. They might push it a little bit. But when you try and get them to do stuff completely outside their area of expertise, unless they can do it perfectly, they won't do it. 
And 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 well, they should be as well. You know, mm. making a mistake could cost a lot of money. Yeah. So it's it's like a surgeon. You don't want to have a you know risk taking surgeon. You want them it's to a good do point. it. Really good point. It's a good thing I'm not a lawyer or a surgeon, Charles, <laughs> because <laughs> I, guess so. I have made many mistakes and yeah. uh, and moving on. And I uh, guess sometimes in the media we tend to say a mistake's not really the end of the world. It's not we can, fatal. We can, no, <laughs> no, that's it's right. Not. Well, yeah. it could be fatal in surgery's case. That's right. Yes, that's right for sure. Um. Uh, you belong to EO, that's the Entrepreneurs' Organisation. Yes. You're a board member there. Yes. You've been on that for quite some time. You've been a part of that. Is is that a, a part of your growth as not just as a, a lawyer, as a as a person, as a leader of uh, your industry? Uh, well, for me, it's been pretty life-changing because I entered – so uh, the Entrepreneurs' Organisation is a global organisation. Yep. It's a peer-to-peer learning group for entrepreneurs with businesses that – um, have revenue over a million dollars. So there's fairly substantial businesses. It, it's been, for me, it's been life-changing. I've been involved on the board. I was the first female president in Perth for the Perth chapter. I now sit on the regional council and I'm the governance director for Asia Pacific. Wow. For EO. So it's it's a really exciting um, path of leadership that I've been able to, to participate in and the skills that, that I learned through there are just incredible. And, and when you say, you know, you're okay with the media and, mm. you, you know, a lot of that comes from just being around really successful people mm-hmm. and just, you know, living living the goals and yeah, Learning from person. those people around you yeah. as well, as you mentioned, that peer-to-peer training element of what you do. Absolutely. Um, so we, met, we you mentioned that million dollar or above kind of requisite. Yeah. Uh, what kinds of people tend to join in, in, in addition to those? Oh, well, there's there's a few famous people. You know, the woman that started Spanx. Oh, yes. Um, Sarah Blakely was a member. Well, I think she still is a member of EO. Mm-hmm. Um, just, I think Red Balloon, um, oh, she yeah. was a member of EO. So there's there's lots of really large international businesses. And, and then, you know, the thing with entrepreneurs is some people have really sexy businesses and we all want to be, you know, Elon Musk. But mostly <laughs> they're people who make widgets for, for, you know, telephones that do something else, right? Sure. They're, they're yeah. very uninteresting businesses, but they're hugely <laughs> successful. Yeah, correct. And they're not as high profile. They're, they're, they're in finance. They're in, um, oh, God, was one in tech. And like, there's some amazing people going around there. And I would imagine too, just as a leader of your business, it can be quite lonely up there because who can you talk to? Who can you bounce things off? And I, I would imagine that's the kind of organisation that you can really work out where you're at, what you're doing and, and be inspired with, yeah. with new moves. Well, the, the, the huge part of EO is that you're in a forum, so you're with seven or eight other people in a group and you meet monthly and you, you really talk about those issues. And it's it's the, you know, this is a real problem. I can't talk to anyone about it because, you know, if I tell my employees it's an issue, if I tell my husband, he'll freak out. It's, mm. So it's that, but it's also the highs. You know, like if you've had an extraordinary year financially, you're not going to go around to your best friends and say, Jesus, I'm rolling in money. This has been amazing. Mm-hmm. So it's just being able to celebrate the wins and the losses and and we just have so many incredible opportunities for learning and and traveling and and the speakers that come you know it's just really um something that i think every leader should consider because it it's really multifaceted now catherine there's a question i'm going to ask of you because i know this is a story that uh john solvander my colleague is wanting to work with you on and i think because it is fascinating to ask a family law lawyer, someone who is responsible for the the management and the, the let's say the uh, the the, oh, the the 
oh, the nice way of ending a relationship. How do you stay in a relationship? How do? <laughs> what's your advice as a family law lawyer to to stay right? Because you've you've been married a long time yourself, haven't you? You've uh, you've you've managed to keep it going and and keep it up. What's the best advice you can give as a family law lawyer? Oh, <laughs> it's a really tough one. People have expectations of their partners, so they have a manual of things that they expect that they should do. And often they don't share the manual with their partner, so mm. they sit there rolling their eyes because their partner's doing something in particular, but their partner doesn't even know that that was part of the manual of what they're supposed to do. And I think if we can all get rid of our manuals and just love our partner yeah, and, and they love us and you get to do what you want to do, they get to do what they want to do and then you meet up in the middle and have a bit of fun, yeah, uh, mm. you know, I think that's the secret to it. That's so it's cool. Nice attitude, isn't it's, it? It's, well, yeah. it's breaking down expectations and, and yes. the, what's built up in your head is what you think is also the perfect relationship because it's never – relationships take work. Mm. They are – confusing sometimes there's there's good and bad with everything but i think if you can you know maybe be a little bit less judgmental and well, ultimately you can't control what people do you think you can yeah you can be this incredibly controlling person and all that does is create more angst because suddenly you're so controlling that you're tracking them and you're making them call you and you're you know just adding layer upon layer of angst where if you realize you can't actually control people and just go with what they do. Do you feel like that really is the basis for most of the cases you see come across your desk? Yeah, I think expectations, unrealistic expectations and, and, and but you know, we were talking about this the other day um, about entering into relationships and how rather than, um, you know, doing a binding financial agreement, so a prenup about, about your, your assets, that before you're allowed to get a marriage licence, you should also have to have completed a course and done an agreement that says what your expectations are. Like, how many children do you want to have? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't want to have any children. What do you mean? I always expected that you would want to have children. We could find that out in five years' time when yeah. I say, right, let's have a baby, or we could have that discussion now. Well, isn't that kind of what we used to go and do at the church before yeah, we got married? They do. They do yeah. it really yeah. well. They do. Yeah, that seems to me, and, and I'm definitely not a religious person, but I'm just noticing many cases in society right now because we've abandoned that element of spirituality and haven't really replaced it with anything other than kind of pop culture, we're missing this really crucial chance to to really reflect during big moments like getting married or when someone passes or when someone gets really sick or when we have kids. We're not doing the things that the church used to give us chances to do. Yeah. yeah. And, and what are the expectations? You know, when you have a child... Who's, who's going to stay home? Is anyone going to stay home? Are we going to get a nanny? What's going to happen? And, and they may end up having a child and then suddenly they both say, well, no, hang on, I'm, I'm going back to work. It's, you know, my career is important. Yeah. And that's a huge sense of, you know. Yeah. And that's it. You think back to your own relationships that haven't worked out. It's usually someone feeling surprised at the way things have turned out. Like mm. I just never thought for a second that you would want to do that, you know, and we, we – Build, we fill in all the blanks, don't we? Do. we? Yeah, we, yeah, we don't. You, you just said it then. I never thought for a second. I, I never thought for a yeah, second. Yeah, yeah. It's not we, or yeah. you know, as a group and as a collective, because it's a partnership. It's a relationship. It's a yeah. Yeah. Oh, look at it, it. It seems like very minor thing. I mean, it's a big thing, obviously, we were mm. talking about. But yeah. there's such minor details that can cause such major uh, uh, interruption in our lives. It's uh, it's crazy. 
we've got to finish up here, Catherine, but the one thing I want to share with you, it's a classic line, and I always remember this, because when I used to come out and visit you, when you were in a suburban lawyer, you were mm-hmm. a suburban, before you hit the terrace, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my wife, I said to my wife, I'm going to see Catherine Leach, a uh, family law lawyer, and someone would say, I went to an event, and they said, oh, where's Nick? Oh, he's gone to see his family law lawyer. Ah. And it's like... What? What's going on? What's going on? <laughs> so <laughs> it's always that sort of thing that what you do, obviously, and you know, it's most of us don't really want to be calling no, you, do yeah. we? No. So but you, it's good you, to know you're there when we do. <laughs> well, and that's and that's another thing there as a position as a family lawyer, law lawyer, you, mm. you're, you're someone we don't necessarily want to run into, but we do want to run into. It's a bit like the police; we don't want to run into when we're on the roads for getting a speeding fine. But jeepers, when a house gets broken into. We, we want them first. Well, first I'd, I'd say that we are the funeral directors of law, that nobody wants to know about us, but when you need one, you want to know a good one and you'll ask around at that time. Excellent. Yeah. Well, a good recommendation is really worthwhile in that setting. Absolutely. Good way to finish it off. Catherine Leach, Leach Legal. If people want to get in contact with people aren't going going so well at the moment, do you, do you work with just Western Australia clients or are you working across the country? We're national now. You're national now. Excellent. If people want to get in contact with you, how can they do that? Uh, they can go to the website, leachlegal.com.au. Fantastic. And there's a few blokes working there these days. Pretty impressive there, Brilliant Catherine. Lawyers. Yeah, we're good. Well done. Finally found some good men. And well, before we finish that one off, is finding good lawyers. You say you only hire the best. How hard is it at the moment to find a good lawyer? I think for a lot of people it's really hard. I have really good relationships with lots of lawyers and so I get contacted fairly regularly from lawyers who want to come and work for me. Excellent. Um, so it's not overly problematic, but... You know, it's like you do the right thing by your team. That's Fantastic. what you got to do. That's what you got to do as a business owner. Ka- Catherine, thank you very much for joining us on The Experts. Another good one, Carms? Absolutely. Lots of good insight. I'm going to follow Catherine on LinkedIn now. Good. Jump on Catherine, Catherine Leach and uh, look for, out for her weekly slash monthly posts. It's, uh, it's, there's no <laughs> well, set agenda all time. When inspiration strikes, that's the best stuff. They're very, very good posts. Well, we look forward to having your company when we talk to another media or another expert. You've been listening to The Experts Podcast, powered by Media Stable. If you'd like to get in contact with the team, head to mediastable.com.au.